This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's never easy to challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system, puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode where I interview Victoria Gasparini about thyroid disease. And she is known on Instagram as the Fed Up Thyroid and has a blog called the Butterfly Effect blog. And I reached out to her because she shares such interesting and incredible information based on her personal story, that of those she hears from others who are struggling with thyroid disease, plus the data that continues to come out related to thyroid disease. And before we dive in, a couple of quick announcements. Follow me on Instagram at FemPowerHealth. I've been adding links in there to resources as well as the different episodes. And I've been noticing how much you've enjoyed them because I'm seeing so many more clicks. So it seems like it's a much easier way to communicate with you guys. So thanks for giving me that feedback. Also, if you like this episode, please do rate it and write a review. Now let's talk to Victoria. I was diagnosed when I was 14. Uh, So very young, very typical. I was given a pill, told, you know, you take this for the rest of your life and things will be normal. And I listened to that. And for the most part, I didn't have many issues with that. Uh, When I was 16 years old, I had lost one of my close uh, friends from growing up. Unfortunately, from there, things slowly started to decline with my health, but it was very slow. So I found I had doctors telling me, oh, you know, everything's related to grieving, which at the time it might have been. Uh, I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder when I was in high school and dealing with the grief and I was losing my hair. I was losing weight and gaining weight and losing weight and gaining weight. I was all over the place. And from there, it just slowly progressively got worse throughout the years. So then by the time I was in my second year of university, it was like a quick downward spiral. All of a sudden, everything came down on me. So in the matter of a month, I had gained 17 pounds. I had bald spots on my head. I had um, freezing cold fingers and toes, cold intolerance, heat intolerance. It didn't matter the temperature. I was excessively sweating. Um, And then in addition to that, it was this chronic incredible fatigue, fatigue that I can't even really put into words. And I couldn't get through my classes. I couldn't get through work. Uh, And at the point I was like probably 19 or 20 years old. And the last symptom that I had that really made most of the difference for me was the brain fog. It would be like five o'clock on a Tuesday night and I work every Tuesday and I'm at home. I get a call from my manager and they're like, where are you? completely forgot that I had work never Whoa, happened to me that, before. That's an intense brain fog. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, and then even little things like going to put a cup down on the counter and I'd miss the counter completely. And it, at first it was funny, you know, we'd find like the goat cheese in the little Ziploc drawer instead of in the fridge. And it was like the big joke. I was clumsy. I was forgetful. And then there was one day that I had just, I was driving home and 
I I did see that the 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 light was red. I saw that, but it just didn't process fast enough. So I'm going through this light and I go right through it and it's red and I think, "Oh my god, I just went through a red light." Thank God nothing happened. There was no cars coming. I didn't cause an accident. But it was just knowing that I was that close to it that something was so so wrong here. This was not myself anymore. Um, from there, I had started doing my own research and everything was thyroid, everything. And I knew that I had a thyroid condition. So in my head, it was an easy fix. It was go to your doctor, get a, you know, an increased dose of your medication and then life's good again. And I can be a functioning, happy adult again and go to school and be successful. Well, that didn't happen. <laughs> Went to the doctor and was told, nope, it's not your thyroid. Your thyroid's fine. Uh, you're depressed. And here's a prescription for an antidepressant. And here's a questionnaire that I pulled up from Google uh, to see whether you're depressed or not, even though I already gave you a prescription. And I'll see you in six months. And I think I think back to that moment, and I feel like that could have broke me, and it probably has broke so many people. But thankfully, it didn't. It inspired me to start a blog. It inspired me to start my social media and connect with people all over the world who have gone through such similar things. Wow. Yeah. Now, have you since successfully been able to get treated? And if so, what was that? Because I'm hearing a few tipping points. So one was, and I'm so sorry to hear about your friend you know, it seems like things got really triggered through, through trauma, which seems to be happening with, you know, a lot of these conditions, definitely with thyroid. I'm actually even starting to hear it some with endometriosis. And then you had all of these things happening and I'm sure you were trying to get help. And then you had that car incident, which was now I really need to get help. And so you knew you had the condition and there was this challenge. So now you're blogging, you're doing your research what finally helped you get to the tipping point of trying to manage it? And you're mm -hmm. still having to manage it because it's not like you are on medication and now you're healed. It's not mm -hmm. like take an aspirin after a headache and it's gone. So how did you get to trying to figure out how best to manage it and knowing how to manage it through the legitimate stresses of day-to-day -day life? Yeah. So I did not find answers in the conventional system at first. So I had gone to that doctor and I was completely dismissed, uh, sent home with that prescription, as I said, and I knew that I knew that I was depressed. I knew that there was um, definitely a symptom of depression, but I had just assumed that it was in addition. It was another symptom that I was having in addition to everything else. And I was right. So I had read a book by Dr. Natasha Turner who is a naturopathic doctor in Toronto here. And it was about hormones and supercharging your hormone health and all that. And lots had to do with thyroid health. And so I looked her up and I thought, okay, well, she's pretty, she's pretty famous. I don't know if I'm going to get an appointment here, but I ended up getting an appointment with her clinic. There was a cancellation and I got in within the week. I didn't go to her. She had been fully booked, but I had seen one of her naturopaths that was absolutely fantastic. She is like my go-to for everything. Um, and I had gone to her and I think it made the biggest difference that first of all, it wasn't a 10 minute appointment, like in the conventional system, it was almost, I had to be almost two hours. The first appointment with sitting there and going over everything. I just, I've never felt so heard. She didn't 
tell me that it was all in my head. She confirmed that I was right. These symptoms are related to thyroid health and that we need to do further testing. If that one TSH level that your conventional medical doctor tested didn't show a problem, then we have to keep digging. And so we did an entire thyroid panel with the thyroid hormones on there, which I had never had tested prior to that. And sure enough, my T3 was as low as can be, uh, virtually none in my body. You need T3 to feel like a normal functioning person. And it really explained everything. It explained the, the mental aspect of it, the depression, the not being able to handle stressors in my life. It explained the brain fog, uh, the fatigue, definitely the fatigue. And we changed my medication. We got me on a combination therapy and changed my diet, like a full on got rid of gluten, dairy, soy, uh, corn, rice, everything that was bothering me. And within, I would say a month, I had dropped 15 pounds. My hair already started to kind of come in, in those balding spots. I had like this clear mind. I could see the world. <laughs> I knew that, you know, things could get better from here. And that's when I created my blog because I knew that I had to share this with other people, but also I wanted a place. It was almost like at first a diary really just to kind of get everything out after seeing my naturopath, but it turned into this like big thing where everybody was writing to me saying, oh my gosh, I went through the same thing. And my doctor told me the same thing. And now we're all here and we have this amazing big community. And really it was naturopathic medicine that got me there. So a few questions in there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, everyone has a unique story, but the one I'm hearing from you, I mean, the specifics are obviously unique to you, but I think the themes I hear a lot in the interviews that I do. So just a couple of things. One, you mentioned that the full thyroid panel, it was the first time that you had had it done, but at 14, you were diagnosed with a thyroid condition. Can you put the pieces together on that? And here's why I ask, because my understanding, and I actually did an interview with thyroid change. It was the first um, episode for this season, which I know you would listen to. So thank you. <laughs> and thank you, Denise, for creating that organization. And there we talked about the challenges of getting diagnosed. And so a lot of people will just test TSH and more organizations and, and endocrinologists are coming around to the full thyroid panel, but it's not always the case. But through it's, I guess, your TSH, you were diagnosed, but it was the full thyroid panel that helped you better understand. So then what at 14 years old did they tell you? So I had gone to my MD who had the at the time was a completely different doctor. She was my doctor growing up. I was very overweight, keep in mind. So 14 years old, I was about 210 pounds and probably related to my thyroid, to be completely honest with you. Everyone in my family ate very healthy and I seemed to really be the only one that struggled. I went to her and I told her about my struggles with weight and she said, okay, let's do some blood work. In the lab work, she tested TSH and it came back high. Now to this day, I don't know that number at 14. I didn't know really to ask, right? But um, it came back high and I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism. She sent me to an endocrinologist, which I'm thankful for at the time. The endocrinologist tested TSH and my TPO antibodies. The TPO antibodies were also elevated. So that's when I had that confirmation that it was Hashimoto's disease that caused the hypothyroidism. And so the T3 hadn't been tested until after the car incident. Okay. Yes. Thank you for explaining that. Yeah. The other piece is diet. 
because you mentioned some of the specifics and you also mentioned a very important point, which is the triggers that impacted me. So how did you figure out, you know, I hear gluten is bad, you know, don't eat dairy. Yes, eat dairy. If it's this, if it's that, and there's so many like soy and there's so many discussions around it. So how did you figure it out? And what have you seen through the significant amount of research you've done and discussions with your community around, are there typical things that tend to work for those who are struggling with thyroid conditions? I had gotten on Synthroid, uh, which is just levothyroxine. It's a T4 only thyroid replacement. I had given up gluten and it had nothing to do with me Googling anything. It was honestly, you just hear in diet culture that carbs are bad for you. So let's just get rid of carbs. (laughs) And so I had done that. And within eight months, I had lost almost a hundred pounds. So I knew, yeah, for that to happen, for you to lose weight that quickly, obviously my body wasn't processing gluten properly. So when I went to see my naturopath, she said, okay, that's perfect. That's what we want but we want to be completely off of it. Not even contamination. I don't want you cooking in the same pan as somebody who had gluten. Wow. Yes. So then in addition to that, she said, because I was so willing and so like desperate for help, she gave me a whole lot to deal with right away where I feel like with a lot of patients, it's maybe more of a slow process. I like start with gluten and then do this and that and, and whatever. But I had just gotten rid of everything because I was desperate. I wanted to feel normal again. And so if that meant I couldn't eat cheese anymore, then I guess that's what it meant. And so I had gone home. And from that moment on, it's been four years now. I have not eaten anything with gluten, with dairy, with soy, uh, with corn, with rice, really many grains. Uh, I can handle quinoa and buckwheat and those things. But I think it is very different for everyone. I know people who have achieved remission with Hashimoto's and they eat dairy. So I think that that part is very individual. So let's talk about now moving into the themes that you're seeing, given all the folks that you're interacting as a result of your blog and you being so open with your story and experience. What would you say are some of the the themes We can maybe start with some of the challenges and maybe themes that you're finding are working. So a big theme is, and thankfully I didn't have to go through this, but it's uh, people not being able to get a diagnosis. So I see that all the time. I have people who write to me saying, you know, all the things you talk about are so relatable to me, but I can't get a diagnosis. And really it shouldn't be that hard to get one, but it is in the conventional uh, model because again, They're only testing that one number. They're not looking into other factors. Uh, So I feel like that's a big, big theme. The other theme that I always see is people who are diagnosed with depression. So many people are told that they have bipolar disorder or depression or anxiety. And there was actually a stat I was looking at recently that 20% of people with bipolar disorder are hypothyroid and they're not treated for it. So it really makes you wonder, right? And they're treated with antidepressants and those things, but that's not going to help you if you have a thyroid condition, right? And if the reason for your, your symptoms is because of your thyroid, then you need to be treated with thyroid medication uh, or diet and lifestyle changes or both. And I appreciate you saying this because when you were talking earlier about being put on the medication, you know, it really struck me because I think this is a women's health 
theme, and maybe it is broader with men's health too, but I'm not specializing in talking to, to experts on men's health specifically. So I'll, I'll state that caveat at least, but it does seem to be a theme that a lot of times, like, you know, I talked to Dr. Allison McGregor about hysteria and, you know, is it that the woman is anxious and depressed or is it she's frustrated that she hasn't been heard? You know, with perimenopause, you know, the hormonal changes, you're getting, you know, severe anxiety. I have endometriosis and I'm learning about the severe anxiety from that. And I'll be honest um, to share my little mini story. So I'm in perimenopause and I had interviewed Dr. Lara Bryden, who just wrote an incredible book about um, repairing your hormones after 40. And I had spoken to her about some of the stuff I was dealing with. And she said, why don't you just try some progesterone cream? And I didn't realize how poorly I was sleeping and the anxiety I was dealing with until I tried it and woke up. And I'm like, I felt like I just came back from a three-week vacation. And my psychiatrist was asking me for 10 minutes in one of our appointments about this. He was like, wait, what? Because I'm like, am I on medication for the wrong reasons? And I'm, I'm not off my medication. So I'm not saying everyone, if you get these repairs, get off of all your medications. But um, this was the right supplement instead of additional you know, medications to deal with the anxiety I was dealing with because it was clearly hormonal as well in my case. And so it's just, yeah. it's fascinating to see, you know, in so many different areas, like where does depression and anxiety and even you were mentioning bipolar disorder, where does it all fall in? Are there root causes causing it? Which is it a circumstantial thing? When is it where you need an actual medication specifically for that condition? It's, mm -hmm. it's really complicated. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think the other problem is that because we're women, it's often blamed on the hormones, which it could be, but nothing's ever done about the hormones, right? So, you know, you're told, oh, well, you're just going through puberty or, and then, you know, oh, you're a new mom. You know, the hormones are crazy after pregnancy. That's what a lot of people are told. And then perimenopause and then menopause, it never ends. Being a woman is a medical condition, Right. And unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of answers um, that we're getting from doctors other than birth control. And so I'm glad that you tried the progesterone cream because I've heard great things for people that have low it's progesterone. Magical. Yeah, because I was mm -hmm. I had also heard that a lot of doctors won't prescribe the suppository or the injection um, in, in a lot of cases. And, you know, Dr. Bryden had said, try try the cream, see what happens. And if it works, but not so well, maybe you can go to your doctor. But then she also said they don't prescribe it for inability to sleep well. You right. have to have different symptoms for them to give you the prescription version mm -hmm. of it, which I thought was fascinating. So she was like, if you do go say these words, then you're more likely to get the prescription. Anyways, mm -hmm. that's a whole other topic about how, <laughs> how the system works. But I mean, I think the themes are the same, right? Like we're Definitely. seeing conditions. There's so much that needs to be understood. Mm -hmm. So then when it comes to what you were saying about just starting with getting the diagnosis, what have you found people have shared with you that tends to work? The other nuance too is I have a couple pages on various conditions on my website. So like thyroid disease, PCOS, endometriosis, and on them, each page I list the symptoms. And as I was putting the pages together, I'm like, I feel like I can copy paste yeah. the website <laughs> because the symptoms also overlap. So it's not Thank just you. getting the full thyroid panel, but it's understanding, okay, if you have X, is it because of PCOS, thyroid disease, yeah. endometriosis, all of it? some mm -hmm. other combination of them. I mean, it's complex. 
So Definitely. what found, uh, really works to get to this accuracy? I understand that seeing a naturopath is not attainable for everybody. And so I think being prepared going into any doctor's appointment is key. Uh, for me, it's do your own research. I call it Google University. Try to figure out the things that you really relate to and ask them. I always say, remember that you are the customer. Full thyroid panel is so important, especially if you're, if you're testing for a diagnosis, you want to do, um, if it's an MD, you want to do TSH, free T3 and free T4. If they don't check the antibodies, that's not necessarily a red flag. And I'll tell you why it's really because it's out of the scope for a lot of MDs. They learn the very basics of thyroid disease. We give, you know, T4 replacement if somebody has high TSH. But a lot of times they stop there. I would suggest finding a doctor that sends you to an endocrinologist when they see that those levels are off, whether it's just the TSH or if it's the thyroid hormones, send you to an endocrinologist to look into your antibodies. Also understanding that, like you said, there is my naturopath calls it a three-legged stool. So there's the thyroid, there's the reproductive health, and then there's the adrenals usually one of those is going to be off when you're feeling all of those symptoms. So if your thyroid is still coming up, okay, which doesn't necessarily mean optimal, but if your doctor's telling you it's okay, then there's still other pathways to look into. You want to test your hormones. You want to test your estradiol and your progesterone. Like we were just saying, progesterone is huge. And the, the symptoms of low progesterone or of estrogen dominance often reflect those symptoms of thyroid disease. So that's really important. And then the last part there is the adrenals, which it's hard to talk about adrenal glands and adrenal health with your MD. It is, but um, that's something that I would still bring up uh, talking about cortisol and your stress hormones and how you can deal with those things as well. But as long as you cover kind of those three avenues, I think you should be good there. And my MD told me right off the bat, listen, I don't know a whole lot about desiccated thyroid, which is the combination treatment that I'm on, but I love that you are so passionate with your naturopathic doctor and I support that fully. And if you'd like, I can email her back and forth. If I get any blood tests that I'm a little concerned with, with you, I'm just going to send them to her and we can just have a conversation. And she was so supportive of that. And I think that that is something that I also look for in an MD. If your MD is willing to send you out to look for answers, then they're probably on your side. I am a consultant in the healthcare industry and my specialty is everything process. So I look at, you know, how do all the disparate parts and everything in healthcare work and try to bring them holistically so that from end to end, it's a seamless experience. We all, because we are so busy, tend to work in our silo. And so I don't, I don't think it's something that's automatic because of capacity, training, you know, ability to even think about it, to have that kind of coordination. I think it's mm -hmm. rare to see. Would you agree if we, if, you know, women are hearing this to even say like, let's assume the doctor just doesn't think about it. It's not that they refuse to. What if we suggest to them, would you mind coordinating with X other specialists? Yes. I think like, especially in the case with my newer MD, I would be so comfortable asking for that. And I am sure that she would, she would go for that. What I have found is one, the way a lot of times things will work is, and I see this, especially on Facebook groups and Reddit, 
someone poses a question, everyone gives their opinion, but there's no medical background. So you have zero context why something worked or didn't for a given person. Mm-hmm. But then what I've also found, because I've been at this 10 years, I have found that you almost have to already know what you're looking for and Google it in an exact certain way to actually get what you're trying to get because of our my favorite thing, and I'm totally being sarcastic, search engine optimization. <laughs> yeah. So that also kind of filters how you get the information. So can you guide folks? Because, you know, Google is great. Like, you know, it's, it's great that we have access to so much more information, but we also have to tread with caution. So how would you advise someone to properly Google the information and how to leverage it? Because what I also heard is you bring that to your doctor. So you know, you never said use it as your diagnosis and treatment methodology. So mm-hmm. tell us how that should work in an ideal way based on what you've seen. Yeah, absolutely. So misinformation is huge and running rampant right now. I'm sure you see it all the time. Um, but it's hard when you're not a medical expert to find that information. And so I have a love-hate relationship with blogs. Obviously, I have my own, so I do love them. But when you're finding information on a blog, it's love, hate, you know, I, I still do. And here's the thing. I think you can find information on blogs, but you need to find a blog that uses references and you need to look at those references first. The references need to be journaled sources. There can be a couple in there that are from other doctors, but find the information. If you find it interesting, you find it relatable to you you have to do another search. You can't just print off that blog and go to the doctor because you are going to get laughed at. You are. You have to have that information. And so I think finding, I always say, find three quality sources to back it up. Because even if you find just one maybe good source, uh, it might not be enough, right? One good source doesn't really mean a whole lot. It could have been based off a very, very small study Um, And I have people write to me all the time, you know, I heard that I can't take this with my thyroid. And no, you, you can, there's lots of good information on this, but you found one article that says, oh no, don't take this because somebody had a bad experience with it. So I think just my big advice is find three sources to back up what you find interesting, whether it's in a blog or in a journal, and then use that. Okay. And this is actually also why I wanted to interview you because I knew that even when you were posting on social media, you had those references. And it's, I have to say, when I, when I met you and we were talking, I'm like, hold on a minute, you're not already a doctor? <laughs> and um, Thank you. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, uh, and, and so it's, it's funny. And, and by the way, just for the audience, like so many doctors that I've spoken to who deal with conditions like this, they talk about how the patient really is the expert. And you kind of, like, I remember in my fertility treatment, I could show up at my fertility, um, my appointment where they would do the scan for how many follicles I had. I could mm-hmm. read them like, oh, so I have four on the left and this on the right. And, yep. oh, it looks like it's measuring this based on what I'm seeing. And, Oh my goodness. Like you just, I mean, look, by no stretch of the imagination, could I do self-diagnosis, but you know, I certainly was able to understand what was happening. So I think it's important important to qualify that. (laughs) So anything else as far as themes with challenges and then recommendations for how to overcome those? 
Yeah. So I also see um, challenges with disparities in healthcare too, which I think is something that a lot of us don't focus on. So like I was saying earlier, not everybody has access to a naturopathic doctor, whether it be a financial issue or whether it be just there's no regulated naturopathic doctors wherever they live. Um, Another thing was food. You know, it's easy for me to say that there's so many gluten-free options out there and to buy organic fruit and vegetables, but not everybody has access to that. And I've really learned that through my blog, you know, giving recommendations, it has to be so individual uh, to people. And so I feel like that's a huge challenge for overcoming that though. I think having conversations about what we can do, you don't need to take 15 different supplements, but also taking five cheap supplements is probably pretty useless. So let's get rid of those and that'll save you a little bit of money and we'll focus on fruits and vegetables and eating healthier foods. If it's not organic, we'll figure out a way to wash your fruit really well. Those little things there make people feel like they're heard. And it's more likely that those people are going to make those changes when they feel heard. It's so easy to throw your hands up in the air and say, this is too much for me. I appreciate you having suggestions around this because in more and more of my episodes, this is a topic that keeps coming up is, so what do we do about the disparate populations? And I struggle because this is such a system-wide issue and we can't even get the general basics right. And that adds another you know, layer of dynamics to take into account. And I get frustrated because I'm trying to share this information, but I also don't want to dismiss that that is an issue as well. And I'm actually researching, trying to find experts in this space to continue trying to offer solutions. Cause in some cases there aren't, but like, I love mm-hmm. the ones where I think the theme here is start small. And so, you know, we talk about what are some ideal scenarios, but then there are little things that one can do given where you are at. Absolutely. Actually, I wanted to say too, when I had first done one of those um, for my school that I'm attending in the fall, uh, there was like a little discover CCNM and that's the school. And I went on and we had a naturopathic doctor talking to us about treatment and about how every patient is so different. And I remember she said that you're going to have patients that you can give them anything and they're going to listen and they're going to take it and roll with it. But you're going to have patients that it's a really, really big struggle to get through to them. And so instead of get rid of this and remove this and buy this, it's as simple as before you eat your cereal in the morning, have a cup of blueberries and a glass of water, go for a walk. And if you can only get down the street, great. Little things like that, that everybody can do is so, so key. And like you said, starting small can make such a huge difference. I think another theme is probably maybe on a smaller level, not um, getting the like options when it comes to prescriptions. It's often a one size fits all sort of thing. Everybody takes the same drug and you should be fine with that. Uh, So I think that's another big challenge or theme that we go through and that I see on my blog, especially Uh, lots of people are saying, you know, it's great that you're on desiccated thyroid, but that's not an option for me. Um, Or even things like I've talked to my doctor about testing my T3 and he says, no, that's not necessary. So how do you get past that? You had mentioned someone um, had said that the desiccated thyroid was not available to them. Why? Because the doctor refused to prescribe it? Was it affordability? What what were the issues? Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons. It's definitely affordability. If you don't have the insurance for it or if it's not covered by insurance where you are, um, then it's an issue. Desiccated thyroid has 
a, um, a bad reputation from the past. So desiccated thyroid used to be the only thyroid treatment that was available before synthetic T4 came about and it wasn't regulated. So there was no way to know that every time you were taking your, your medication, you were getting the same amount. And we have discovered with science that it's so key to be consistent with thyroid hormone. It has to be the same every single day, or it's going to be all over the place. Your health is going to be all over the place. And so I understand that. Um, and I do know, I believe it was in the seventies or the eighties T3 became very controversial, even as a synthetic T3 doctors were using T3 to help patients lose weight and it was working except that a lot of people ended up with heart attacks which is a side effect of too much T3. But my answer to that is that there is side effects to all medications that you're going to take. And if you're taking something irresponsibly, then yeah, no, it's, it's going to cause some problems for you. Desiccated thyroid is regulated now. So when I take my desiccated thyroid medication in the morning, it's the same amount every single day. It's a little bit of T3 because you only need a little bit of T3 and it's mostly T4. And it comes from uh, pigs, comes from an animal. So it's just mimicking the exact function of the thyroid gland. It's very similar in animals and in humans. So I think, yes, it's finances definitely because it's a very expensive treatment. They see people doing really well on it. Everybody wants to be on it. Um, and Synthroid is very easy to produce. So it's very cheap. Uh, and it's, it's the common option for doctors. What about management, like maintenance, I should say? What are the keys or what should people be aware of for the long haul? And we want to make sure people feel that this isn't a, oh, great for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. So Hashimoto's disease is a chronic disease and chronic is lifelong. And so it isn't just a one-time fix. And I had to learn that the hard way. When I started taking the medication that I'm on and changed my diet and everything, like everything was just falling into place. I had never been so happy in my life. I felt like I could take on the world. And within a year of taking it, I had achieved remission. My antibodies were non-existent on a blood test. It looked like I never had the condition, which I was told was impossible to see. And I honestly felt like I had finished the race. Like I crossed that finish line and I'm done. And now, you know, I didn't go back to eating unhealthy or doing any of those things, but I felt like I could take over the world. And then my antibodies just skyrocketed a year later and they are higher than they've ever been. And it makes you realize that, you know, this is lifelong and it's, what did they say? It's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's something that you're always going to deal with. However, if it makes people feel better when you've gone through those hard parts, you've gotten your diagnosis, you've gotten on the right medication, you have the tools in your toolbox to get through the flare-ups, to get through those bad days. And it goes from a bad life to a couple of bad days. It's not all the time. I know when it's coming on, I can feel when I'm about to come crashing down and I know what to do in those situations. I know when I need to maybe get right, you know, up my vitamin D or uh, maybe get rid of those gluten-free treats that I've been snacking on for the past couple of weeks, or I, you know, stop drinking alcohol and those sort of things. And you make those little adjustments and really it is manageable. I love the way you put that. And two, one of the things I'm learning when it comes to health and, and you were just saying this is, and I just wanted to reiterate it is it's not black and white. 
like you were saying, you, you know, will have your treats here and there. I know you had your doctor who said no gluten at all. So it sounds yeah. like you're, you're able to have some, but it's really moderation and, mm-hmm. you know, how often you're having something or how much of it. And, you know, I'm assuming it, it goes with not just diet, but sleep, rest, mm-hmm. not overworking. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The overworking is huge for me. I think the hardest part is dealing with stress. It's I'm, I'm lazy when it comes to that. It's easy for me to change my diet. It's easy for me to cut things out, but when it comes to, you know, sit for two minutes and meditate, I don't want to do it. No, absolutely. And by the way, I have to laugh that you called not wanting to relax lazy. (laughs) Just, just, just wanted to point that out. (laughs) Yes, I did. (laughs) So last question, Victoria, Mm -hmm. what is your greatest hope for women's health? For women's health, I think my ultimate goal is to have a healthcare system where women feel heard, whether it's conventional or naturopathic or whatever type of medicine somebody wants to go into. I just want women to be able to say, yeah, you know what? I can go to my doctor and that's a safe place. I think in order to get there, it's conversations like these. It's the conversation we had today and it's getting women to speak about their experiences. The more we talk about the things that are going on um, in the healthcare system and maybe the manipulation or the gaslighting that we felt, the more likely we are to see change in healthcare, especially for women. But it's, it's systemic. It's ingrained in the system. It's how we started. Women have always been not valued in healthcare. And so I think it does take us standing up and sharing our stories. And hopefully we can create a system and our generation can create a system that values women's health. Thank you for working so hard in figuring out what is going on with you and now spending your time and risking your flare ups so that you can be (laughs) even more knowledgeable to help others who are struggling. And I can't wait to watch you continue to flourish. So thank you again, Victoria. Thank you so much for having me. I loved this.